Hello, and welcome into Airing It Out, a Penn State podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber, and I'm joined, as always, by Josh Moyer. Josh, how's it going? Hey, it's the holiday season. My spirits are bright. Hope you're doing uh, okay here, John. Yeah, doing all right. You know, a little basketball injury this morning, which is always fun, but outside of that, things are fantastic. Uh, you know, and let's let's leave this off with uh, looking at the future for Penn State. And of course, we weren't on the air last week because of, uh, you know, me getting sick, which as you can tell, I'm sure by my voice isn't all the way back yet, but I can at least communicate with you, which I think is the, uh, the main thing here. Uh, let's let's take a look at uh, Penn State's recruiting class. Uh, you know, the 2020 class signed last Wednesday. Uh, the signing period ran from Wednesday to Friday. There'll be another one, of course, in early February. But you know, all of Penn State's commits signed. They're, they're locked in. Uh, I believe they finished with 27 commits in the class. Of course, always a chance they could add more in the next two months. But with, you know, the, the roster size for next year, they're looking like they're, you know, already going to be over that 85 uh, scholarship cap. So they'll have to find a way to get back to that number. Uh, but what are your thoughts on, on the class in general? And, and, you know, what kind of impact do you see it having at, at Penn State? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, it's a top 15 class. It's another solid class by James Franklin. And, you know, I know some people are a little bit upset that there are no five stars this season. And, you know, there are quite a few three stars for Penn State. But, um, you know, in talking to to Ryan Snyder, the, the recruiting analyst from Rivals, and, you know, I know you've certainly had your time uh, as a recruiting writer, too. And I think the important thing to note is just that just because you're a three star, you know, doesn't necessarily mean you're a lesser recruit. You know, Penn State, uh, you know, has been on, you know, a lot of these guys before before they really kind of came to, to fruition, before they really blossomed. I mean, you look a few years ago at, at Justin Fields, you know, Penn State earned a commitment from him, you know, before he was this national commit. And then all of a sudden, you know, boom, he blows up, he decommits, and all of a sudden he's a five-star guy everybody wants. And is I think he is the favorite, the odds-on favorite now for the Heisman next year. So, uh, you know, by that, uh, I mean, uh, I remember talking to Charles Walker, uh, one of the uh, recruiting helpers for Penn State, um, last week, and he mentioned uh, – now help me out with this this pronunciation here, John. But uh, Fatorma Moba, the the Susquehanna Township defensive tackle, he thought that kid was a uh, toward the end. He said his junior year film not great, was probably not a Penn State guy. But the way he impressed at camp and then his senior year film, he said he looked like a five star. That Penn State was just kind of wondering why no one else, you know, had offered this kid. So I think when you look at at, you know, a, a lot of recruits like that. I mean, Mobile was a, a three-star guy. Nick Dawkins is a three-star offensive guard. And, I mean, you know, teams just wanted him to have – James Franklin said teams just wanted him to include them on, on their top ten list because, I mean, he's Daryl Dawkins' son. You know, he's a big name and he, he's very athletic. So you just go through it. You know, Norville Black, uh, Lackawanna uh, Junior uh, – Lackawanna Juco wideout. You know, he, he runs an incredible 40 and – you know, he can be Penn State's, you know, DK Metcalf. You know, you just run 40 yards down the field, catch the ball, and, you know, Penn State was his first offer. So, I mean, the list goes on and on. I could go on and on, but, you know, I'm curious for you, John, what was maybe the the biggest commitment that that sort of put you over the top or you felt put this class over the top? Yeah, so real quick on those those JUCO guys you mentioned. You know, there's another one in Jair Brown, uh, and you bring up a great point about Penn State being uh, Norval Black's first offer. I think we're starting to see, uh, and those who follow recruiting already know this, Penn State sort of develop a pipeline with Lackawanna to the point that if a Lackawanna kid gets a Penn State offer, they're going there, which I think could also cap the amount of scholarships they get. You know, if, it, if uh, a school doesn't want to offer a kid, if it'll, you know, if there's no point in offering uh, him and, and sort of, you know, uh, 
he's going to Penn State regardless. So you don't want to offer. It's kind of a bad look for the program. If you never had a chance with him, you don't want to waste your time. So I think that comes into play with Brown and Black here. But but of all the guys, you know, that committed, I know it's it's a bit of a cop-out to go with the highest-rated guy. But I think Curtis Jacobs is going to be such a game-changer for Penn State, you know, uh, once he gets there and honestly probably for only three years. And I imagine he'll be playing a lot as a true freshman because he's so talented. Uh, but he's the guy that, that sort of puts this class over the top into – okay, this is, a, this is a class that can sort of be a part of a national championship team, which I think is what Penn State fans want to hear, or at least a college football playoff team. You know, once you get there, things can go haywire, and I don't feel like guessing what, what team's going to come out of a four-team race. Uh, but, you know, Jacobs is the kind of guy that puts you over the top, can be an elite leader of a defense for three full seasons, uh, can take over for Parsons when Parsons inevitably leaves after next year, and I don't think I'm breaking any news to anyone there when we're yeah. sort of expecting him gone after next year. But he's the guy to me that can be a game-changer, uh, every year that he's eligible at Penn State. And, and that matters a lot. But if you look outside of the region a little bit, because he's a Maryland kid, you know, it's it's almost expected that they can land him. A guy like Keziah Holmes and a guy like Parker Washington, uh, those two in particular, one from Florida and Holmes and one from Texas and Washington, they're from heavily recruited areas, areas that have produced some of the best talent in the country year in and year out. And they're also two of the best skill position players from those states. Uh, Holmes is electric with the ball in his hands. He can create space without the ball in his hands to, to you know, give him, make himself an outlet for a quarterback. Fantastic route runner, can play the slot, electric, uh, you know, in the open field. Has a chance to be a returner if, if Penn State wants to use him there. He's a guy that they're going to have a hard time keeping off the field, which is saying something because Penn State, it looks like, will have four returning scholarship running backs to go with uh, Keziah Holmes and, of course, Kevon Lee, who is another running back commit from Florida in this class. Uh, and then Parker Washington's a guy, I think – He's going to step in and have an instant impact for Penn State. Uh, you know, he's he's 5'10". He's over 200 pounds. He's got a good physical build. Uh, I think everyone saw the one-handed OBJ-like catch earlier this season that was circulating on Twitter that really blew up. Uh, but he, he's more than just, you know, that spectacular catch. He's a great route runner, uh, creates separation, can make contested catches, gets downfield really well. And, and honestly, if, if K.J. Hamler were to leave, I, I think this is a guy that could step in right away at the slot and, you know, start from day one. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you, too, about Parker Washington. I've heard those K.J. Hamler comparisons a little bit. And, and certainly you look at Washington's 40. I mean, he may be built somewhat similarly. He's five foot ten, two oh one, But I don't think he has the speed of Hamler. But I've heard those comparisons. Is that is that an apt comparison? Does the 40 just not, you know, kind of reflect the speed? What, what is kind of the dynamic there, John? Yeah, I, I think it's more about, you know, just the position they play, honestly. Uh, you know, and, and people compare, and I've been guilty of this, too, comparing Rondell Moore and K.J. Hamler but they're really different builds and different types of players. Uh, you know, uh, more and more sort of a get the ball in his hands and he just sort of blows by guys and powers through them because he's so strong in the lower body. And I think Washington is a little bit closer to Moore. I'm not saying he's Rondale Moore. I'm not saying he's going to be a freshman All-American right away. So I, let's get that out of the way now. But I think he can come in and have, have a similar uh, impact in, throughout his career. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's big, physical, strong, uh, can start, like I said, can start from the slot from day one. Hamler, I think, needed that redshirt year, even though, you know, he's, he's electric with the ball in his hands. Uh, he was still slight. His frame wasn't great. Uh, he, even without the ACL injury, he probably wasn't going to play as a true freshman. Washington is sort of the opposite, more polished, uh, can, can come in and just sort of be impactful for three years and, and you know, potentially a fourth. I, you know, I don't know what his NFL future holds, but obviously a fantastic athlete with fantastic hands. And, and I think he's more of a, a downfield contested catch threat than Hamler is. Hamler's uh, downfield threat is is that he can beat guys downfield. Uh, Washington has more of a chance to come away, you know, with the ball in coverage when it's tightly covered. And honestly, that's something that Penn State desperately needs right now. 
Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely worth looking at those wide receiver prospects a little bit more. Penn State went out and got itself five. And if you watched a single Penn State game this year, you're probably aware, yeah, they need some wideouts, uh, specifically someone who can catch the ball. So uh, when you look at Penn State, there are, there are two guys, I think, who are kind of projects, and Jaden Dotton, um, you know, he'll likely redshirt, I imagine, this first year, and, and Malik Mega, you know, he's he's known as the the Canadian Megatron, you know, kind of the Canadian Calvin Johnson. He's, he's six foot four, 195 pounds. You know, he played in, in Quebec, so he's certainly not as polished, but I mean, my goodness, this is a guy who's six, three, six, four, and, you know, can run in the, the high four fours, low four five. So, I mean, you just don't come across that athleticism very often, but certainly, you know, he's not ready to go right away, but the other three wideouts, could make an immediate impact for Penn State. I mean, Norville Black, I don't think he's a guy who's ever going to lead this team in receptions, but he can be that guy that Penn State wanted, Dan Chisena, or, you know, if you go two seasons ago, DeAndre Tompkins, someone who can just stretch the field vertically, um, you know, someone who can make those, challenge the safeties and kind of spread the field a little bit. So I think he'll have, you know, certainly an immediate impact. He's a fast guy. He's a little undersized, but uh, uh, he averaged, what, I think 26 yards a catch, for, for Lackawanna. So uh, yeah, yeah, I think that has instant impact written all over it. But yeah, uh, the, the two receivers who who maybe, you know, could lead this team in catches or certainly could be the number two receiver if KJ Hamler leaves um, opposite Jahan Dodson, uh, Parker Washington, like you said, very polished, you know, incredible hands, you know, very good. But the other guy that I'm really intrigued about too is Keandre Lambert. Um, you know, he's a four-star guy from, from Norfolk, Virginia, uh, and, you know, he's gotten a lot of hype. He is the, he's the nephew of Cam Chancellor, the former Pro Bowl safety from the Seattle Seahawks. So, I mean, he's got it in his genes. And, I mean, you look for a guy who's hungry and, and he's going to enroll early. And, I mean, I, I just think that guy has, you know, an incredibly high ceiling. And, and it would not surprise me at all if, you know, he or Parker Washington, if K.J. Hamler leaves, you know, ended up becoming, you know, e even the number one receiver. Um, you know, this next season. I mean, there's just, you know, mountains of potential there. And I mean, you, you, you never know with these recruits, you know, some guys just, you know, aren't ready for this, this next stage. And, and other guys like, I mean, Saquon Barkley, no one, no one was projecting Saquon Barkley to come in and have the instant impact he did. And he came in and within, I think, you know, his first two games was being compared to Penn State All-Americans and, you know, being talked in the same breath as, as, you know, the greatest Penn State backs to ever play. So, I mean, you never know what you're going to get really until the season starts, even during the spring. But, you know, I definitely think that, you know, Keandre Lambert, Norville Black, and uh, Parker Washington are three receivers that, that Penn State fans should familiarize themselves with. Yeah, I think, I think Lambert is especially intriguing because he has got all-world quickness. Uh, he ran a 3.83 shuttle, which is blazing quick, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, legitimate world-class quickness, not just football fast. Uh, but I'll be interested to see, you know, how, how he makes an impact early. Another guy who runs really, really nice routes uh, and with that sort of quickness can create separation and, and get himself open. Uh, you know, so this could be another guy uh, sort of helping fill in for Hamler a little bit who, who has that same sort of quickness, the shiftiness that allows him to create space when there isn't much and, and allows him to get open and give Sean Clifford an outlet. Uh, we could see Lambert sort of filling in some of that role if Hamler goes. We don't know yet, of course, what his decision is, uh, but – yeah, this this wide receiver class is an impressive one, and I think a much needed one too for Penn State. Uh, there, there's they've not been hitting recently on guys. Uh, that may be because they just haven't been spreading the ball around enough. Of course, Justin Shorter's in a transfer portal. Uh, we don't know yet if he's leaving or if he's staying. 
Uh, looks like he's leaving, uh, but we'll see what comes of that. But, yeah, they, they desperately need wide receiver talent, and, and they got five good ones from the looks of things. Yeah, and, and honestly, with Justin Shorter, we're, we're not even positive at this point if he wanted to come back, if, if Penn State would allow him to be back. Uh, you know, uh, we, we tried asking, uh, you know, a player or two on Friday during Bull Media Day, and, you know, their response was, um, you know, it's a team issue, and, and they didn't really want to talk about it. So, I, I mean, it's interesting with, with Justin Shorter. And I think, you know, kind of in the same vein, you know, you have a guy like Malik Mega who, you know, okay, these, these are guys who, isn't, who aren't polished. I mean, Justin Shorter came to Penn State, you know, with all the talent in the world, but he, he was not polished. He was a project. Uh, you know, he, he played in a, a run-first offense in high school where, uh, you know, he, he really didn't have to catch too many passes. And, uh, you know, some of these guys are too, but, you know, just because Justin Shorter didn't work out, Juwan Johnson didn't work out, you know, doesn't mean Malik Mega and, and some of those guys, uh, you know, won't, won't work out. If anything, Penn State is, do, they've got to have somebody come in and, and you know, and, and work their way up, right, John? I mean, uh, you know, I'm curious. I've heard you talk about, I think, all the receivers so far on different podcasts, but, you know, I don't know if I've heard your opinion on, on Mega. Yeah, he, uh, he's sort of the rawest of the raw. You, you made the sort of Metcalf comparison for, black and that he could be that downfield threat i think mega is the closest one to the physical side of dk metcalf uh, obviously he is not nearly as shredded as dk metcalf few on this planet are but you know he's a big strong kid who right now can probably run three routes for you but can run them really well can make contested catches can fly down the field he's a long strider so you don't really want to you know see him operating a ton in the uh in short areas you know you don't want to force him to run in and out routes that, that rely on quickness that are just going to be slow and plodding and, you know, take him too long to develop into those routes. Uh, you want to send him downfield. You want to have him run slants and use his big physical frame to, to sort of box guys out, catch the ball and get downfield. Uh, and, and, you know, again, another guy that Penn state could use with the departure shorter with, you know, uh, is how they used Jawan Johnson when he was here. And I think it's okay to have guys that can only run a few routes. And if he becomes a better route runner, then, you know, the ceiling increases exponentially. But right now, I think at the very least, he's going to be at his best, a very good deep threat. Uh, he's got a chance to make an impact at, at Penn State. Uh, but real quick, you, you mentioned, you know, we talked about Shorter uh, with a lot of players. Uh, when KJ Hamler was asked about him, I thought his, his response was really interesting. Uh, he, he came off – he said he was surprised. Uh, he said Shorter hadn't mentioned any, you know, displeasure with, with his situation. He didn't say anything to anyone. And all of a sudden he was just in the transfer portal and I think it surprised everyone, which I think is pretty telling about how it went down and, and you know, what uh, sort of how disconnected shorter was, I guess, from the group and, and where he felt like he should be among that, that position group. But yeah, they, either way, Penn State's going to need to replace him. They've got a few good candidates to do it, especially in black and mega. Those guys are going to take longer to come along. Black probably needs to add some weight. Uh, like you said, he's a Juco kid. So you'd think he'd play early. But if he doesn't add enough weight early enough because he won't be a summer or he won't be a spring enrollee, he'll be enrolling in the summer. Uh, we'll see if he can get on the field early, if he can get strong enough to, you know, withstand Big Ten football. Yeah, I, I hear that. I just uh, – he's about 167 pounds at this point, I think. So uh, I don't know how big Justin Norwood was when he came in. Uh, but, but, yeah, you know, it's kind of a similar story there. But, but certainly, you know, Black has the speed. Um, certainly not built like DK Metcalf. I think DK Metcalf's about six foot four, you know, like two twenty, two thirty. Um, so that is not black. But I just see in terms of what Metcalf, uh, yep. you know, the scattering report, you know, was on him. Hey, he can spread the field vertically. You know, he's the guy that can, that can help out with that. That's what I kind of see for Black. But 
you know, there's a lot of talent here. You know, there's, I'm sure some guys that we haven't talked about who are going to explode on the scene, but Penn State has, I think it is 11 early enrollees. So, you know, these are some names that, you know, fans will be hearing, you know, in the spring. And, and a lot of these guys maybe won't push for immediate time. Penn State has a lot more depth than it did just a few years ago. But, you know, a lot of these guys uh, can certainly, can certainly, certainly have the talent to play immediately. I mean, you look at Curtis Jacobs, uh, he's not a five-star guy, but he's one of the top 50 prospects you know, in the country, uh, among all positions. He's a, he's a top five linebacker. They don't need him to play a lot. I, I'm sure he will, but, you know, Brandon Smith was the the consensus number one linebacker recruit a year ago, and we know that, obviously, he didn't get a lot of time, you know, this, this past season either. So, I mean, you look at Penn State's depth, you know, that's building up, and Penn State needs players like this to be able to come in and not play. You know, the, the fact that Penn State does not need Curtis Jacobs to be a three-down, every-down player, um, you know, he doesn't need to be Michael Parsons, it just sets them up so much better in the future. So, yeah, you know, there's a lot to keep track of. You know, Theo Johnson, you know, tight end we haven't talked about yet, six foot six, another Canadian guy. You know, he is their highest-rated offensive product. Pat Fryermuth declares for the NFL draft in, in 2021. Uh, you know, Theo Johnson's going to be able to step in there you know, either as the number one or number two and, and have an immediate impact. Uh, I mean, you just go down the line. Um, you know, I think that, you know, this, this recruiting class hasn't gotten the credit that it nearly deserves. And, you know, there could be a, a number of, of really, really good players here. Yeah. And, and you mentioned Jacobs and he's a top 50 player in the country who, who might finish as a five-star kid. You know, these rankings aren't finalized. So the actual, what was originally the signing day in early February, they still have all-star games to go through and everything in early January uh, to be evaluated. But he's coming into a situation where he is the number 44 player in the country, the number five outside linebacker in the country, and he has three guys ahead of him who are who were higher rated, higher, more highly rated, excuse me, as recruits. And Micah Parsons, who was a five star, Lance Dixon, who was a five star, and Brandon Smith, who was a five star. And those guys next year will be a true sophomore, a redshirt freshman, freshman, and a true junior. So yeah, a lot of talent uh, at linebacker. You as as one would expect. Jacob's coming into a situation where, you know, as good as those guys are, he's going to push them for playing time. And like you said, I mean, that's a really positive thing to have. Same with Theo Johnson, you know, guys ahead of him and Brendan Strange, who, who was really talented, uh, you know, really athletic tight end coming out of high school last year. Uh, and of course, Pat Fryermuth will be ahead of him. Christian Koontz will be ahead of him. Uh, those guys were highly rated too. And Theo Johnson might come in as the fourth guy and by next year might be the second guy or the first guy, uh, which says a lot about his talent level and what he's capable of. But, you know, like you said, it, it, no five stars as of now in this class, not a top 10 class, but still a class to be proud of if you're Penn State and one to really look forward to if you're a Penn State fan. Yeah, agreed. Let, next topic, John Sauber. <laughs> let's move on. Yeah, so let's, let's move on to someone that we've touched on a little bit already, uh, and that's K.J. Hammer. And, you know, where, you know, he, we mentioned the decision that is looming with him. You know, what are your thoughts on, on what he should do or what you think he'll do? And, you know, what, what we heard him say this past week about his decision. Well, in talking to a few people, uh, you know, around the industry, uh, it certainly seems like KJ Hamler would go in the first two rounds. I, I don't think he's a first rounder, more likely a second rounder. Worst case scenario, he falls to the third round. But the thing is, this is a very deep class when it comes to wide receiver. And that's if there's one reason why KJ Hamler would stay in school, even if he's projected to go in the first 60 picks, it would be because of that. If he does stay, Azari is going to make some more money for himself because uh, the next class should not be as should not be as deep as it is this year. I mean, you have 
so many, uh, this almost reminds me of the 2014 class. Um, if you remember when you had guys like Jarvis Landry, Sammy Watkins, Odell Beckham, you know, there was just a, a lot of talent in that class. It was incredibly deep. And, you know, if you're on the fence, um, you know, probably best to stay in school. So, I mean, honestly, if, if, if this was a class like a normal year, I'd say, you know, KJ, you know, take off, go, you know, make your money, enjoy the NFL. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, I was listening to a podcast with, with Mel Kuyper two weeks ago, and they were just, you know, hammering home the strengths here. So, so yeah, I, I think it would be in his best interest to stay. But as far as what he'll do, you know, I, I really have no idea. I mean, with all the other guys, I, I think it was a lot easier to read. You know, we were hearing that Fryermuth was going to stay before he stayed. Uh, you know, Lamont Wade, you know, I'm, I'm guessing he goes. You know, Shaka Tony, wouldn't surprise me if he goes. Um, but K.J. Hamler, uh, I, I, I really don't know. I, I do not have a feel on it one way or another. So, you know, I hate to waffle here and, and, you know, not pick one or the other. So let me put you on the hot seat, John Sauber. You know, does he stay or does he leave or what should he do? Yeah, I'm going to waffle too. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I genuinely, I think this is a toss up decision. Uh, I think there's a chance the decision has been made. I, I mean, I've seen others report that he said that the decision was made, but when I spoke to him, he said that he's not there yet, uh, that he hasn't made that decision. So, you know, a little bit of conflicting info from just the press conference that he gave uh, or the, the quotes that he gave on Friday, uh, which I think is really interesting. But the one thing I, I noticed, I mean, he, he really didn't want to talk about the decision at all. Uh, and, and he wanted to talk about the game. And, and then, of course, he opened up later on. But I, I think that's interesting because I think there's a chance that – and I, I tend to lean that he would leave uh, in, in, in part because he was talking like as if this was his last game. Uh, yeah, know, there was a little bit of uh, I want this to be about my teammates. I don't want this to be about KJ Hamler. And it's like, well, if you don't want it to be about KJ Hamler and you're coming back, then, you know, announce before that you're coming back. And all of a sudden it's not about you. You know, so I, I tend to think that he he will go. I don't know. I'm not reporting that. That is, you know, a little bit of speculation on my on my part. I do think it's interesting, though. Uh, he gave us some insight into the slot process, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, he said he goes to his quiet place. Uh, of course, you can read about, you know, what, what he, you know, all of this on senderdaily.com. I wrote a story about it afterwards. But basically, he goes and he and sits on a football field and, and thinks about his decision late at night because uh, he's sort of at peace playing football. And, and you could tell this, this decision was really, really stressful for him. Uh, it was not, this is not an easy one for him to make. I this was not a tour decision. tour did not need to think very hard and long about it. He's, you know, he seemed intimate. Yep. And, and, and I think Hammer legitimately struggled with this. I think that lent itself to some of the frustration that he was having, you know, with the questions, the constant peppering of questions about it. Uh, but, yeah, I, I tend to think he'll go just based on, you know, a little bit of reading between the lines. Uh, but we'll have an answer either way right after the bowl game. He insisted over and over again that we'll know right after the bowl game. So I imagine we will see a tweet from him. Oh, sorry. I, I, you know, I put my finger up there for a second because I was just like, you know what, you're right, because the more I think about it, the way he worded everything, you know, I'm going to announce after the bowl game. I don't think I've ever had anyone want to wait, or I've never heard of somebody at Penn State waiting until after the bowl game to announce that they're coming back. So yeah. I, I, I've got to think, you know, nine times out of 10, when you say that, it's because, you know, you're, you're, you're leaving. And, and James Franklin kind of um, alluded to it when, you know, he was talking about all of these guys as a whole, you know, the Shaka Tonys, the, Lam the Lamont Wades, you know, he said, they're not going to announce until after the bowl because they don't want to be a distraction. And, you know, they want the focus on the team. Well, again, you know, like, like you alluded to earlier, 
if you're going to stay, that's not really a distraction, you know? So, so it really seems like, you know, a lot of these guys are just waiting until after the bowl to, to declare. And, you know, it was interesting because Penn state did not have any of those other guys available during their media day, the Lamont Wade, the three Castro fields, um, you know, the Shaka Tony, you know, did not have those guys available, but they had KJ Hamler. So initially, I mean, we were kind of thinking, well, you know, if they're having him available, you know, maybe he'll even be announcing that he's staying Friday and he'll surprise us all. And obviously when we got there, it was, was almost entirely different than, than kind of what we anticipated. So, I mean, at this point, you know, just like, you know, just like our listeners, you know, we're, we're, we're speculating. We, we don't know the inner workings of, of KJ Hamler's, you know, mind, but, you know, we've seen this play out, you know, a couple times before and historical precedent says he's more likely to, you know, stay than go. Once we're talking it out a little bit more, John Sauber, yeah, you know, uh, I was waffling before. I'm not waffling anymore. Uh, I, I would say if I, gun to my head, if I had to pick, you know, I'd say he's, he's gone as well. But, I mean, you know, we'll see. That's certainly not a, you know, a, a 95 or, you know, 100% shot here. But, you know, if I had to put odds on it, I'm going to put, you know, minus 150 KJ Hamler. <laughs> KJ yeah, Hamler goes. One thing that could impact his decision, which, which he mentioned, you know, I asked him about, was, uh, and I think you asked about it, I asked him about it as well, is, is the offensive coordinator on this staff. Uh, you know, a decision has to be made by James Franklin. So I asked, you know, if they get, depending on who they get as an offensive coordinator, could that impact him? And he said, absolutely. You know, it, uh, if it's someone that really appeals to him, he could come back. Uh, and then, of course, I asked if it would change his timeline at all. And then he said he's announcing after the bull game. So <laughs> it doesn't seem like that's going to have an impact unless we find out who Penn State's offensive coordinator is in the next four days. Of course, we're recording on Tuesday here, uh, Christmas Eve. But yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I think he's going to go as well. Like you said, the, the more we sort of suss things out and talk through this, it, it seems clear to me that he's probably going to go and going to announce that right after the bull game. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we'll see. It's, it's uh, a noon game, December 28th uh, against Memphis. So fans should know pretty early in the afternoon then usually the players would talk, I, I would guess around 4.15 so, you know, people should probably know uh, if he's going to announce immediately afterward. And, and some players, uh, I remember Christian Hackenberg, immediately after the bowl, when the media was there, told everyone, you know, he was declaring early and leaving. But sometimes they like to wait. Like Saquon Barkley, I think, waited until he got back to State College and, you know, then announced. So, I mean, we, we might know. I guess we would know as soon as about, you know, 4.30 p.m., this coming Saturday, whether or not he declares. That's probably the earliest we will know for sure. Yeah, that, that's my guess as well. But, you know, I, I mentioned the offensive coordinator, uh, you know, and who they could potentially hire. So let's, let's move on to that clearly vital position for Penn State, uh, you know, which is going to dictate a lot for next year's team. You know, where, where do you think this offensive coordinator search stands after what James said to us on Friday? And, and you know, have you heard anything yourself about where this is leading? Yeah, well, well, James Franklin was pretty mum Friday, but it was nice that he at least explained why he didn't want to say much. And that was that Penn State is obviously going after at least one sitting offensive coordinator who's currently involved in a bowl game. So uh, my, my question to James was, can you say whether you'll hire someone for sure before the bowl game or, you know, might it not come until after the, the uh, AFCA convention, the annual coaches convention? and the national championship with both, which both take place the weekend of, of January 13th. And, and Franklin's response was that he didn't want to say, because, you know, that would be tipping his hand. And, 
you know, you'd probably be able to eliminate some candidates and include some candidates, you know, if he gave that answer. And, you know, obviously, as he explained, you know, he tips his hand, uh, you know, people track some flights, you can probably figure out who they're going after, and that's not going to help them get their guy. So I think at the latest, we would hear something. Um, again, Franklin has, has hired at the, the AFCA convention in the past. That's at Nashville, Tennessee this year. Um, Matt Linegrover was, was one of those guys he interviewed while he was at the AFCA convention. Obviously, we know that he became the offensive line coach eventually, um, you know, thanks in part to uh, Joe Moorhead. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it's kind of uh, you know, interesting to see what comes after that. Usually, we would see some movement um, shortly after the AFCA convention, but I think at this point, again, it's, it's, it's all speculation, um, but the same names keep being thrown out, you know, over and over again. Uh, you know, James Franklin did say that he hasn't ruled out any of his assistants. They're still open. I, I would not expect it to be one of the assistants, however. Tyler Bowen maybe is, is you know, Ricky Ronnie from, from the beginning, that, you know, he's kind of the guy in waiting. So maybe Penn State hires one more offensive coordinator. That coordinator moves on, then it's Tyler Bowen. But I, I can't see Bowen, who's the interim OC, uh, stepping up to become the the offensive coordinator uh, uh, this soon. But, you know, other names we're hearing, um, you know, certainly Joe Brady, I think, from LSU, the passing game coordinator is atop everybody's wish list. Um, you know, we'll see if, if that's realistic. Um, but then, you know, other guys who are maybe more attainable, um, you know, Kirk Shiraka from Minnesota, uh, Sean Gleason from, from Oklahoma State. And, and Gleason was a name, too. We had heard you know, a few years ago uh, when, when Moorhead was leaving, you know, he was a guy that, uh, you know, kind of the rumors and the circulation was that, uh, the speculation was that he was a guy that, that James Franklin was aware of and interested in. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I know, you know, another name we were hearing was, was Kalen DeBoer from Indiana until he became, you know, Fresno State's head coach. So, you know, there, there's still a lot left at play here. And, you know, this is just one of those things where you're just going to have to be patient because, this is not something Penn State obviously wants to, uh, you know, move quickly toward. It's, it's something they want to take their time with and make sure they get it right. Because, I mean, you know, we, we, we've seen, you know, what a John Donovan to the offense can do and, and you know, what a Joe Moorhead can do. And, and it can completely change the entire face of this program. So, you know, there's a lot of talent in this offense. You, you want to make sure you pick the right guy. Yeah, and the thing is, so there's there's a lot of openings across the country at big-name schools that also need offensive coordinators. You know, Washington needs an offensive coordinator. Texas needs an offensive coordinator. Oregon needs an offensive coordinator. Notre Dame does. So you see all these schools alongside Penn State. That's five schools right there that are, you know, near the top of the country, at least in brand or exposure, or, you know, in success. And, and Washington's case, uh, usually, of course, not this, this year notwithstanding, that need an offensive coordinator, need to make a move. And I assume everybody's going to want to talk to Joe Brady. Uh, schools should want to talk to Kirk Sharaka and Sean Gleason. Those two guys clearly know what they're doing and, and you know, are some of the best in, in the country. Uh, and I'll, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if a, a school sort of tries to just sort of overpay someone. Well, not necessarily overpay, but you know, like jump the gun a little bit and and raise the market so high that they make a move on a guy just to guarantee they get their guy, so these other competing schools can't get them. Uh, you know, we've seen Mike Yurcich's name connected to Texas. Yurcich uh, being the offensive co co-offensive coordinator at Ohio State right now. Kevin Wilson, the offensive coordinator there. Uh, so we'll see what happens, but I think this search is going to get really interesting. Uh, and I think it's really interesting to watch as, as you make these other schools make these hires, how do they sort of shake out? You know, maybe at the end of this, the, we'll rank these top five schools because they're all going to be competing with each other for, for college football playoff spots. And they're all making a crucial hire at the same time. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's something that we'll be following uh, up until it's announced. So, uh, you know, we still might have about, you know, three weeks left uh, in this surge, maybe even a little bit more. So, you know, who knows when that announcement is made, but certainly stay tuned on that one. Yeah, I think the soonest we see an announcement, if it's Joe Brady, and I'm not saying it's Joe Brady, to be clear, uh, is right after the national championship game. They're probably going to smack Oklahoma in the semifinals and make the national title game. And I doubt he's going to want anything out there about his potential departure until that national title game is over. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Like you said, it's something interesting uh, to watch for sure. The biggest storyline for Penn State this offseason, I would say much bigger than even Hamler, uh, because at the end of the day, Hamler is only going to be back for a year. If he does come back, this offensive coordinator could be there two to three years. Or if he's there for a year, it's because Penn State is a playoff team, which is, you know, quite impactful in its own right. Uh, but let's move on to the, the New Year's Six Bowl that Penn State has coming up. You know, it's, it's not getting as much play as you'd think for a New Year's Six Bowl just because the opponent and the Cotton Bowl doesn't seem to have the prestige as the, the, as much prestige as the Bull Penn State fans wanted in the Rose Bowl, but it's still a huge game nonetheless. Uh, you know, what are you looking for from Saturday's matchup between Penn State and Memphis? Well, what I'm looking for is essentially uh, what we've seen in, in Penn State's previous losses. I'm looking to see how Brady White, who is a Unitas finalist, uh, or Unitas or Manning, Manning finalist, Whatever it is, Brady White is a very good quarterback for Memphis, and he's a guy who's certainly worth keeping an eye on. And this is a great passing offense, and they have a six-three or six-foot-four receiver, not unlike Minnesota's two receivers, uh, who can really make a lot of plays. He leads the team in receptions. Uh, Coxie, I want to say his last name is Demonte Coxie. Is that is that right, John? Yep. Okay. I see you nodding, so okay. I, I want to make sure. It's hard when you've never heard these names talked about. You've only read about them. You know, you're not sure how the pronunciation works. But, no, I mean, there's, there's a lot of firepower to this Memphis offense, and I just wonder how Penn State secondary can, can stand up to it. You know, they love to throw to their running backs out of the backfield. You know, they love to go deep, uh, you know, to Coxie. It's, it's going to be interesting to me. Um, you know, everybody says this is, this is Memphis Super Bowl. You know, Penn State, you know, they won at the Rose Bowl. They're disappointed. And the one thing you, you've – if you've watched college football for any time at all is – you know, sometimes these small teams, you know, the Boise States, the, the Central Floridas, you know, they are driven, uh, you know, more than, you know, Alabama, Michigan, Penn State, you know, they want that win. And it's, well, you know, how bad does, does Penn State want that when this isn't where they want it to be? You know, if you told Memphis before the season you'll be in the Cotton Bowl, they would have absolutely loved it. You know, this is their Super Bowl. And, yeah, it's an excuse that's often used when the favorite loses – but, you know, I just wonder how much that's going to, to kind of be at play here, how, how that dynamic works. And, you know, more than anything, I think the key to the game is whether Penn State's secondary looks like they did against, you know, Memphis and Indiana, or excuse me, against uh, Minnesota and Indiana, or, you know, whether they, they look like they did a little bit earlier this season, you know, a little bit more improved. So, so I don't know. I think, it's, I think it is an interesting matchup. And I think if you're not excited about this game, I think it's just because you don't know enough about it. Yeah, I'm with you. This this minute, uh, this Memphis offense, excuse me, I keep wanting to say Minnesota now. Uh, this uh, Memphis offense is one of the best in the country, uh, and I did not say it is one of the best group of five offenses. Did not say it's one of the most underrated. It is one of the best offenses in the country, regardless of what conference you're in, regardless of who you play. They are the number eight school in SP plus uh, when it comes to offense, uh, with third, a rating of 39.3 uh, added points. 
Uh, their special teams is phenomenal, third in the country. You know, this is a really, really good team. Uh, you know, Bill Connolly's SP Plus rates them as the number 13 overall team in the country. And that's with the number 35 defense, which tells you all you need to know about the offense and how good it is. Uh, anyone who likes points is going to like this game, uh, unless you are a Penn State fan, because if it really gets high scoring, then I think Memphis ends up winning the game. I don't expect that to happen, but if we start seeing Memphis get up into the 40 points, I don't know if Penn State can keep up at that point. Uh, we'll see. I think uh, it's going to be exciting to see what Tyler Bowen does as a play caller, because I don't know, if, you know how many guys you talked to about it, but it seemed like all the players talked about how much more explosive the offense could be with him at the helm how much more he wants to be aggressive, how much he wants to attack downfield, take shots, make big plays. And that should be a fun offense to watch. Uh, you know, uh, an offense with this much talent, they should be able to execute those types of things. So it's going to be a fun game to watch. Uh, like you said, if, if you're not excited for this game, then, then you're just sort of uninformed at this point. Uh, these are two good offenses, Memphis boasting one of the best in the country, two extremely good special teams units, and Penn State, of course, with one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, ranked number eighth as well. Uh, you know, this is going to be a fun game. Like you said, uh, the the DBs against the wideouts are going to matter a lot. Brady White's ability to pick them apart is going to matter a lot. Uh, you know, but I'm 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 also watching Kenneth Gainwell. Uh, Minnesota. Jeez, man, that, I'm, I swear <laughs> I'm going to call them Minnesota until the end of time. This is what happens when when Penn State plays teams that you know this is their Super Bowl, I guess. Uh, but you know, Kenneth Gainwell, a freshman from Memphis, uh, 5'11", 191 pounds, ran for over 1,400 yards this year clearly an explosive back. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see how he does against a really stout run defense for of, of Penn State. You know, can he sort of keep up that production when he's facing one of the best defensive lines, one of the best front sevens in the country? We'll see. Uh, but, you know, if he does, then it then it does not bode well for Penn State. It bodes well for Memphis. Uh, and, and I think we could be in for a, a much more interesting game than, than Penn State fans want it to be. Well, and if I could confuse you for a little bit more for a second, if you look at their defensive S&P plus, you know, the SP rating from, from Bill Connolly, the defense that Penn State has played that is most closely ranked to uh, Memphis, Minnesota. So, yeah, it so makes sense. One more thing, you know, there's a tongue twister in there somewhere. They're, they're going to, I just can't wait for this game to be over. So I don't have to try and figure out which team I'm talking about uh, anymore. Of course, the, the big contrast in Memphis, Minnesota is that, Minnesota has one of the worst special teams units in the country, while Memphis has one of the best. Uh, it's going to be a it's going to be a fun game. Like I said, uh, I, I think people should be excited for this. And you know, if you watch the game and it doesn't go how you want, or just watch the two playoff games afterwards, because those are going to be fun too. It's going to be a great Saturday of football. Uh, I'm excited for it, and I'm excited to see these two offenses sort of go at it with each other. Me too. And uh, I, I guess with that, John, uh, I, you know, I'm ready to make a prediction. I don't know about you, but you know, I thought I'd give you the correct one first, and then if you want to go after the correct one, <laughs> maybe we can do that. But, you know, no, no, for this, I, I think, you know, a lot of us are expecting certainly a high-scoring game. You know, Memphis is the type of offense that I, I just don't think that, that Penn State has the ability to stop it. It's one of those offenses where if you can slow it down, you should be pretty happy. So, you know, I'm going to go Penn State 35, Memphis 30. So Penn State wins, but they don't cover the, the seven-point Vegas spread. Yeah, I, I appreciate your effort in getting it right. But at the end of the day, I think the record will show that I will be right about this no matter how many times I was wrong earlier this year in our pick'em. I would prefer it if nobody looked at those standings. Look at the games, read the, read the predictions, just don't look at who got what right. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. But this one, I will be getting right. I have Penn State 38 and Memphis 27. Uh, at the end of the day, I think the Penn State run defense sort of suffocates Kenneth Gainwell. And if Penn State knows that Memphis is going to pass the ball, they should be able to stop them a little more than usual. Uh, it's not like 27 points is, is you know, 
really stopping them, I guess. It's more, like you said, slowing, slowing them down. But Penn State is, is too good. Uh, they're too talented. And, you know, Minnesota, or I swear, if I call them Minnesota one more time, <laughs> <laughs> Memphis is going to be playing with, with a new head coach without Mike Norvell calling the plays. So who knows how that's going to go. But at the end here, I think we're looking at a, a Penn State victory, a New Year's Six Bowl win. And honestly, I don't, I don't think I saw that coming at the, end of, at the beginning of the year. And I know you didn't. Oh, I absolutely did not. I thought Penn State would would be fortunate to finish around eight and four. I just thought there were too many question marks on this offense. You know, Sean Clifford, we didn't know what Penn State was going to get with him, um, you know, especially when you go from Trace McSorley, who, who again, I mean, what Sean Clifford has done, I know he has not been perfect, but Trace McSorley was one of Penn State's greatest ever quarterbacks, easily top five, probably top three, um, maybe even number two. Uh, so to go from that to, you know, whatever Sean Clifford would be, certainly I expected more of a drop off in the win loss record, but I think the combination of the big 10 being a little bit down this year, um, you know, the defense, the defensive front seven, you know, playing lights out. And I mean, the offense, you know, doing enough and Sean Clifford, you know, helping to will this team to a few close wins, uh, certainly put Penn state over the edge. So now I think this is a, a great a bit of momentum for Penn state moving forward. And you'd like to, I'm sure they'd like to see their season, you know, finish out right with the win over Memphis here. But yeah, I think no matter what happens Saturday, you know, I think you have to look at this as a successful season for Penn State. And, you know, again, some people don't. Um, but again, I also think some people are idiots. So that's my that's my hot take. <laughs> I don't think you're entirely wrong there. Uh, I think, you know, Penn State winning 10 games in a season uh, where they were supposed to sort of be retooling or rebuilding even. Uh, is a major win and it says a lot about where James Franklin has this program and where it's headed. Uh, I I didn't expect him to win 10 either. You know, I, I projected nine, not that it was that far off, but still like 10 seemed a little crazy. I was closer to saying eight than nine or eight than 10, excuse me. Uh, but yeah, at the end, at the end of the day, it's a, 10 wins of very successful seasons. Not a lot of programs against the schedule they faced. Cause even though the big 10 was down, there were a lot of good teams, no real over the top, great team. Indiana Pitt. Yes, yeah, certainly teams that were unranked, but, you know, still belonged maybe probably top 35. Yep, and, and Penn State got those wins, and I think that's, uh, that says a lot about where this program is and where it's going. Uh, but unless you've got anything else to add, that'll do it for this week's episode of Airing It Out. You can find us, as always, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you want to read Josh and I's writing, you can subscribe to a sports pass from the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. That's center spelled C-E-N-T-R-E. Follow us on Twitter at at by Josh Moyer and at John Sauber. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day.